Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I'm a reporter from iHeartRadio. Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. sure. Um, so we are asking questions about podcasts. Okay. Do you guys listen to podcasts? Occasionally. Yeah. What, how do you find your podcasts? Uh, usually a reference from friends. Unless you're really bored. <laughs> so if you're really bored, how would you find a podcast? Uh, probably just scroll through, right? right? Just scroll and yep. scroll. And... So would you listen to a podcast about podcasts? Probably not, no. Okay. There's so much out there, you just kind of dive in on typically one One would click to the next, click to the one next. One podcast so. leads to another podcast, yeah. the way Nancy Reagan told us that marijuana leads to cocaine. Right, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. You're actually yeah. starting a new show called The Pod Club. It's a podcast about podcasts about podcasts. podcasts. By now, it is a complete cliche to say that listening to a good podcast is like having a chat with a friend. But I love cliches, and there is a lot of truth in this one. There's also so many forms that that conversation with a friend can take. Personally, I love it when one of my friends tells me one great story. One great story with a ton of salacious details. Something dishy, a little shocking, basically gossip, but like a big gossip story. And as a former gossip columnist myself, I just freaking live to see people milking stories of the past for all that they're worth. And that's why today we're talking to the great Lily Analik. She is just as obsessed with these dishy stories as I am. And her most recent podcast, Once Upon a Time at Bennington College, really hits the spot. See, it resurfaces old gossip from some key figures in Bennington's class of 1986. They're really famous in some circles. Namely, they're the literary greats Brett Easton Ellis, Donna Tartt, and Jonathan Lethem. And in this oral history of their youth, we hear all the dirty details that you would think would be buried back in the 80s. We hear about the parties, the relationships, and even the trio's own secret histories that spilled over into their work. What Café de Dome was to the lost generation, the dining hall at Bennington College was to the lost generation revisited, otherwise known as Generation X. The movable feast had moved ahead six decades and across the Atlantic. And while, of course, southwestern Vermont wasn't Paris, 
Somehow, in the early to mid-80s, it was. It was just as sly, louche, low-down, and baroquely wicked. And speaking of sly, louche, low-down, and baroquely wicked, check out the habitués. Seated around the table, berets swap for wayfarers, and ready to gorge in the conversation, if not the food. Cocaine, the Pernod of its era, is a notorious appetite suppressant, after all. Where Brett Easton Ellis, future writer of American Psycho and co-leader of the literary Brat Pack, Jonathan Lethem, future writer of Fortress of Solitude and MacArthur Genius, and Donna Tart, future writer of The Secret History and Pulitzer Prize winner. All three were in Bennington's class of 1986. All three were a long way from home. Los Angeles, California, Brooklyn, New York, and Grenada, Mississippi, respectively. All three were, at various times, infatuated and disappointed with one another. Their friendships stimulated and fueled by rivalry as much as affection. And all three would mythologize Bennington in their fiction that, as it turns out, wasn't quite, and thereby become myths themselves. So grab a tray, pull up a chair, and try not to look like you're eavesdropping. I'm Lily Analik, and this is Once Upon a Time at Bennington College. Lily has been deep into this story for years, and the show has caused a major stir among listeners. The buzz about it actually reminded me of the good old days of celebrity gossip, especially when it ended up in page six, which reported that Donna Tartt's lawyers sent letters to Lily and the show's production company, Cadence 13, to cease and desist the podcast. Those demands have since been dropped, but it just shows you how committed to telling this story that Lily actually was. Lily and I talked about all of this. The good old drug-fueled days of the 1980s, what went into making this show, and she even reveals a couple new tidbits for us. Hope you enjoy. I'm really loving Once Upon a Time at Bennington College. Don't I love to hear that? I know, right? Um, so tell me tell me a little bit how the idea came about. So it started as a piece for Esquire. I did an oral history for Esquire on Bennington College, class of 86. So this was like for their 2019 summer issue. But it started earlier. So Brad Easton Ellis did a movie called The Canyons, this kind of porno noir thriller was starring Lindsay Lohan and James Dean, the adult actor. Anyway, I was in his apartment interviewing him, and this was in 2013. And I, I saw on the bookshelf behind him, I saw he had a first edition copy of The Secret History, which I'd read, you know, 12 times, 15, so many times. So I started asking him about it, and he mentioned that they had gone to college. He mentioned this one date they'd been on. Jonathan Lethem was in that class. And um, maybe about a year or so later, Brett and I started to become pretty friendly. I was always asking him about Bennington because just the confluence of those three writers was totally fascinating to me. Um, I was very into him, very into um, the secret history. And, you know, I had read a ton of Jonathan's work. I was a fan of his as well. So that's just sort of how it started. So the podcast is a deeper dive into this Esquire piece. Why the decision to turn it into audio? Because I think it's so rich in audio. I actually I went back and read the original piece, but I'm enjoying it much more um, listening to it. Yeah, I had I had done this podcast last year called Once Upon a Time in the Valley, which was on kind of the adult actress Tracy Lawrence and kind of the underage 
scandal in 1986. So I had worked in the audio forum. That was my first time doing a podcast, but I loved it because I mean, I'm a nonfiction writer and sometimes I feel my head bumping up against the limits of the genre. Mm-hmm. I, I quote people, you know, people say words to me, like I have a recorder and then I transcribe, but the words themselves kind of only get across some of the meaning there's something in a sarcastic voice, or they put a certain spin on the words, or there's kind of pauses in between these words. That's so revealing that conveys half of the meaning, I think. So when I had done this story about the adult industry in the eighties, I interviewed a lot of porn stars and a lot of these people kind of had huge charisma and have kind of real forceful personalities. There was the force of intelligence in what they were saying, but they weren't using sophisticated language. So if I just wrote down what they said, they wouldn't sound so smart, but if you could hear them, you were persuaded by what they were saying, or you were caught up in what they were saying. So I felt like that was the only medium for that kind of story. Then with Bennington, um, the voices were kind of so full of intelligence and kind of vitality and juice. It's just, it's, it's way better to listen to, I feel. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely way better to listen to. Tell us a little bit about Once Upon a Time in the Valley. So as I said, it's Tracy Lords, who kind of was the biggest porn star in the business between 1984 and 1986. Uh, and she was dominating that business. It, it turns out she was underage, right? She'd gone in with right, yeah, government yeah. issued fake ID. It was a kind of a complicated story, her backstory. But a couple of weeks after she turned eighteen, it was revealed that she had been underage for her entire career, and she'd only made one legal adult movie called Tracy, I Love You, uh, made in France. I think it started shooting the day or the day after her eighteenth birthday, uh, and she was the producer on that movie, one of the producers. And the story is that she owned the rights to that movie. So the adult industry maintained that um, she, she she blew the whistle on herself because it was going to mean an enormous payday. And she's always maintained she doesn't know who did it um, and that she was victimized by the industry. So kind of the, I like the tension between these two points of view, both of which are quite persuasive. So I always thought it was kind of a great noir. It's July 1986. Two months earlier, in May 1986, two things had happened. Tracy had turned 18, and Tracy had made the third of the three X-rated movies she was supposed to make with Scott and the Tracy Lord's company. That third movie was called Tracy, I Love You, and it was shot in France. When the FBI pays its unexpected visit, she's in as dark a place as she's ever been. I was extremely suicidal. When the FBI actually raided my apartment, I was 90 pounds and I'm five foot seven. So, I mean, I was pretty much wasting away. Tracy is handcuffed, dragged from her apartment complex and shoved into the back of an unmarked car. They took me downtown to the federal building and they questioned me. I was, you know, wearing a long T-shirt and nothing else and bare feet. And I was taken up this freight elevator in the federal building. It feels to Tracy like a kidnapping. She's dazed, frightened, and crashing from the coke. She's sure this is a drug bust, but her certainty is misplaced. It isn't about the drugs. It's about the underage movies. Even when she understands this, though, she doesn't understand this. I didn't get what everything was happening. My brain was pretty mushy, and I thought, why now? Why would they be trying to help me stop me now? Why, after three years, does anybody even care? I'll listen to or read anything about the porn industry. It's great. fascinating. Fascinating. It's great. It's great. Yes. Like, it was great. And it's just totally, and it's shadow Hollywood. And this is kind of 
the shadow or the kind of the dark brother of Hollywood. It's all fascinating. What I loved about Once Upon a Time in the Valley is that it was so place specific. I mean, it was just like gritty 80s, flashy LA. And then Once Upon a Time at Bennington College, you still get a taste of that because we have Brett Easton Ellis's LA. But then we're also going to this very buttoned up, but also the wildest, wickedest college in America. There was this rumor that Bennington was the only place in the world where the four winds meet at once. These mists, these thick, heavy mists would roll in there at night, so thick that you couldn't see your hand when you held it up to your face. Your head would spin when you were there. It was like, it was a different dimension, or it was a place where the veils between the dimensions were so thin. Like there was this energy coming up from the earth, and I'm sure it tapped into all of our creativity and all, because all of us were intuitive, creative artists that were picking up stuff and like little antennas. And this place was so charged, like polarically. I don't even know if that's a word. It was crazy. And I think that having that kind of atmosphere, we all pushed each other to the limits and we end each other on. And that kind of creative competition and letting your mind go wild is powerful shit. Tell us a little bit about the Bennington class of 1986 and why they're so fascinating. For me, I come, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, what do you call it, a bookworm. So I, at, at mm-hmm. 14, I was a freshman in high school when The Secret History came out and I just read it over and over. So to find out from Brett that so much of The Secret History was Ramona Clay, was based on this very real college. I loved that, you know, and I, I find him kind of one of the most interesting people in the culture, Brett. I mean, I, I think he's our Andy Warhol. Um, and mm-hmm. and he, totally, I totally agree with you. I way. love that joke because I feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle on that one, but I, I really think he's totally compelling and he's not even my type as a writer. But at any rate, you know, those two were in the same class and Brett writes compulsively about Bennington. He calls it Camden. Mm-hmm. Less Than Zero is his first novel. The hero, Clay, goes to Camden, which is his Bennington. Then Rules of Attraction, his next novel, is set at Camden. The next novel is American Psycho. Patrick Bateman, who is American Psycho, goes to Harvard, but he has a younger brother named Sean Bateman, who's at Bennington. It's just, it, 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 it's, it's almost his, um, like, the landscape of Brett's imagination, Camden College. So I was, I was so into it for these reasons. And then, of course, Jonathan's greatest novel to me is Fortress of Solitude, which has a long sequence set at Camden, you know, Brett's Bennington. And then as I got deeper into it, the research, I've been at this for years, you know, like I've been at the Bennington story for years. One of the girls I interviewed or young women, women I interviewed was Lisa Fader, who was class of 85. And she told me she'd met the real Bunny Corcoran, who's the murderee in the secret history. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And so for me, it's like this, I guess this kind of meta experience where these guys are not my friends. I talk to them all the time. And it's like, so it's almost like living in the novel for me. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It is, right? Yes. It's like imagine imagine being able to live inside your favorite book, your favorite novel. That is the coolest thing ever. So the majority of 
the Bennington classmates have been pretty cooperative. It sounds like people were excited to talk about this this class in their college. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it it's it's the long con. I mean, I'm teasing, but it's like you have to get so deep in this world for trust to be established. It's a real process, and it can only. I always say, like, I would only ever do this for something that I loved and was completely um, obsessed by because it's just it's so absorbing. It's my whole life. It becomes my whole life. <laughs> um, so everyone cooperated. I have so the one thing I have to ask you: everyone cooperated, but Donna Tart did not want to. And Donna is apparently not the happiest that this is happening. Can you walk us through what happened with her? Well, so like I'm in the dark for a lot of this because I've never spoken. I've never had direct contact with Donna, but when I was doing this as an Esquire piece, I of course contacted her through her agent um, several times and I never received a response. So I just assumed she didn't want to be involved. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So the piece came out and people were into the piece. I mean, people were into this topic. I could see that. And I could, I heard about that. Um, so then when I decided to do it as a podcast, um, I again contacted her through her agent. And this time I got a polite decline. But then kind of a couple of weeks later, um, Cadence, the company I'm doing the podcast with, um, I think got maybe two letters from her lawyer and then a couple of letters from her publishing houses, various publishing houses, and also from Paul McLoyne, who'd been her, her boyfriend at Bennington, who was one of the classic students one of Claude Frederick's students. And then, of course, there was the takedown notice from Apple that also we also received from Spotify, but those were dropped. So I, okay. I'm assuming she is not, not delighted, but I actually don't, don't actually know. Right. I mean, frankly, I think all press is good press. I had so many people reach out and tell me that they downloaded the episode after they heard that um, Donna Tartt Page six. Not so crap. Yes, page six. Yeah. After after they read it in page six. So I'm like, great, amazing. If that's what it takes to get people to listen to good podcasts, <laughs> I'm all for it. Can someone please sue me? <laughs> I, I will totally do it after we get off this. Um, this Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, just file an injunction. That sounds like a legal term against Joe Piazza <laughs> and the pod club. Perfect. And then I'll drop and then I'll and then I'll drop it in page six. I still know, <laughs> I still know some people over there. Yeah, and it's funny because page six actually becomes a part of the story because when when Brett publishes Less Than Zero, you know, he's it's 1985. He's still a student at Bennington, and he becomes a page six kind of cover boy. Or oh yeah, and it, oh yeah, page page six kind of made Brad Easton Ellis. It, it was amazing the power of it. You know, it was it's pre social media, and I, this this kind of wonderful guy I interviewed for this a guy named Brad Gooch who's a poet and a novelist and kind of an avant-garde writer. But the reason I found Brad Gooch was because anytime I asked someone about a party that made waves in New York in the 80s, kind of among cafe society, literary society, they mentioned that Brad Gooch was there. But he's also a really totally brilliant person. And he was describing what social life was like in the 80s, like in New York, kind of among kind of famous people and literary people. And he, he said that page six was kind of this dominant presence. And you'd be a bold-faced name in page six. So people would know each other. Not because of social media, which didn't exist, but because they read they'd read about each other in page six. And he said, so you go to these parties and it was like these bold faced names interacting, you know, bouncing off each other. And there was a lot of coke and there was a lot of drinking. And you have these kind of wonderfully superficial encounters that were just personas bouncing off each other. And he made this other really great point, which is that the writers you tend to think of that you associate with this period, like Brad Easton Ellis, Jay McInerney, Candace Bushnell, they were all doing this kind of um, deep journalism. It was fiction. But they were all, they, they had these kind of party personas and going out was part of their literary life. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's so fun. I mean, because I was, so I was a gossip columnist <gasps> in the early 2000s for the New York Daily News for Russian Malloy. 
But I always said that I just, I missed, missed my era. Like the 80s, when you were just running around doing all the coke with Jay McInerney and Freddie Stinellis. How fun. I mean, I, it, was, it was still fun when I was there in the 2000s, but I think it was probably much more fun in the 80s. No, probably, but you still got that golden age. It really, you're at the tail end of it. I was at the tail end of the golden age. I was at the, I was at the bungalow eight age when like pre-social media, pre-cell phones with cameras, when life was still fun. When life was still, oh my God, oh my God. First of all, I'm taking you out later so you can tell me about bungalow yes please yeah oh please do have so many good stories for sure that's that's a date um happening yeah and that's why that's part of why i love listening to once upon a time at bennington because it reminds me of just how fun life was pre-social media and pre-phones on cameras and i know that i might be idolizing it a little bit but it still seems just like so much Fun. It seems so. I only I like I, the joke is that like I moonwalk into the future. Like I'm always yes, time is passing, but I'm always looking back because you know you could have a private life. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, I want to move on a little bit from Once Upon a Time at Bennington. What do you listen to? What kinds of podcasts are you into? Well, so when I did um, Once Upon a Time in the Valley, I did it with a guy named Ashley West. That's his nom de porn. That's the joke. <laughs> Ashley has a real identity in her real life. Um, but but uh, he did the Rialto Report. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. Oh, my God. It's interviews. So he's British incredibly well-mannered 
and he mm-hmm. had a real straight job, like a straight, straight job. Like you would be shocked if you knew what it was. And he, but he has this like porn podcast. He's like, he, he interviews everybody from the golden age of porn and he's been doing it since the nineties. Hello and welcome to the Rialto Report podcast, hosted by Michael Bowen and myself, Ashley West. This podcast is dedicated to the golden age of adult film in New York and will feature interviews, profiles and features of the actors, directors, distributors, cinema owners, crew members and anyone else who is part of So it's of interviews and stories of and that world and I just love it, right? I listen to it always. The Rialto Report. Rialto Report. It's, it's just, it's great. And then I, of course, listen to Brett's podcast because mm-hmm. Brett Obsessive. Wait, I didn't, I didn't know that Brett had a podcast. Oh, God, yeah. He, and when I, I love that he did his newest novel on the podcast. He didn't, he hasn't published it yet. He would read a chapter every week, which I just was so into. Um, so it's the Brett Easton Ellis show. It's like on Patreon. Um, I am scrolling through the Brett Easton Ellis podcast right now. And there is an episode with Andrew McCarthy where they talk about less than zero and the ending of Pretty in Pink. And I just want to hang up on you right now and listen to it. It's totally great. And then I I, I listen to um, Karina Longworth a lot. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She's great. And I actually, probably the biggest honor of my life, I played Elizabeth Taylor in Love is a Crime. (gasps) Really? This is the story of one of old Hollywood's wildest scandals. A story about male violence and female silence. A story about my grandparents, Hollywood film producer Walter Wanger, and actress Joan Bennett. I'm Vanessa Hope. And I'm Karina Longworth, host and creator of You Must Remember This. And together with Vanity Fair and Cadence 13, we'll tell the untold story of the Bennett-Wanger romance and professional partnership, a film noir played out in real life. Introducing Love is a Crime. And I thought, like, what she did was so clever. I mean, because, like, John Hamm is playing Walter, and she's got, like, all these kind of great actors acting it out. I mean, it was just, it's like, she's, she's, she's doing new things with the form. It was just great. I mean, I guess that's like an old fashioned radio show kind of, but that's what I was just going to say. I feel. And so this podcast, love is a crime. She did it for vanity fair and it's essentially a radio play. Yes. Is what it is. It totally is, but it's new. It's like new. It's so old. It's new. Wanger's suspicions were confirmed. Taylor and Burden were, in fact, having an affair. Even as Liz and her then-husband, Eddie Fisher, presented a united front to Walter's face. Even as Richard's wife, Sybil, arrived in Rome to lay claim to her man. As shaken as Walter was, and concerned about finishing the film, a visit to Elizabeth's villa put everything in perspective. Interior, Elizabeth Taylor's villa, Rome. I feel dreadful. Sybil is such a wonderful woman. There are tides to life and love. They ebb and flow. It sounds corny, I guess, but it's hard to swim against the tides. Funny you should say that. Richard calls me ocean. But I really love Eddie. I hate feeling so confused. We all love you, Liz. I promise you'll get everything you want. But what do I want? My heart. It feels as though it's hemorrhaging. Believe me, I know. So 
So yeah, no, no, she's she's great. So it's just it feels fresh and new in a way in a way that I don't know. I, I mean, I write I write for magazines, but that form just feels like it's like getting smaller and smaller. It is intimate. It's like you're whispering in their ear. Exactly, and and I think the audience feels like a fly on yeah. the wall in these com- in these conversations that they would never otherwise be privy to. No. So. Yeah, I think that you are, you're, but you're doing that so well in in Once Upon a Time. Um, I mean, you essentially transport us to Bennington in 1986, which is, and then take us inside the pages of The Secret History, which is just awesome. Yes, I, oh, I love you saying all that. I have your email. I really am going to make you come hang out with me and Odie. Okay, no, I will. I will. I have where where um, Brett and Basquiat did coke in the bathroom. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we'll just, we'll eat french fries because we're, you know. <laughs> we're adults. We can eat french fries. We're, we're middle-aged. <laughs> this is great. And that is it for the pod club this week, my friends. If you haven't already, please listen to Lily's shows. They're wonderful. Once Upon a Time at Bennington College and Once Upon a Time in the Valley. You also have to hear her amazing Elizabeth Taylor impression in Love is a Crime, which is also a podcast that you should be listening to like right now. Download it. Do it. We also talked about the Rialto Report, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts, and Brett Easton Ellis's podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, plus some exclusive episodes on his Patreon. We'll have a lot more for you next week, as always. Until then, happy listening. The Pod Club is hosted by me, Joe Piazza. Our executive producers are me again and Emily Marinoff. Our producers are Mary Dew and Darby Masters. Our associate producer is Lauren Phillip. Our theme and additional music was composed by Aaron Kaufman. Aaron Kaufman is also our consulting producer. And special thanks to Nikki Vitor. He was just a wonderful human being who I had to think at the end of episodes. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. 
It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.